scripture comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Follow along on the screen or in the pew Bible, please. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who had saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You, give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down on the grounds of green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied. And his disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. That is this morning's scripture. Would you please bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, we join our hearts in prayer today, thanking you for the many blessings you have shared with us. We thank you for the multitude of ways you provide for us and for encouraging us to share our bounty with others. We pray that we will continually be mindful of those who are in need, that we will seek ways to provide for others who need help and to be your instruments of service to a world that is hurting and in need. You have given us the perfect example of how to be a servant, how to look around and see what others are lacking and how to fill that need. Lord, keep our eyes and our hearts open to serve you by serving others. Lord, we pray this morning for those among us who have been hospitalized this past week and pray for their healing and recovery by your mighty hand. We lift up in prayer Virginia Downs, Tony Albert, and Joanne Westmeyer, and we pray for your love and presence can be felt by them as you pour your healing and strength upon them. We also lift up in prayer Henry and Barb Schmoll and their family following the death of his mother Lois this past week. We pray that in the midst of their grief and pain that they will feel your love and comfort, giving them peace as they mourn her loss. Lord, we come to you this morning and we, we pray that Mike delivers the words that you are going to portray to us. And we lift up these prayers and thanksgiving and blessings that we pray and can be your beacon of light and love in this community. All these things we pray in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Always a blessing to be with you here in worship and it's a, kind of a fun uh, weekend and fun week for many of you, of course. 
Uh, want to celebrate, you can see Pastor Keith, my running mate, is not up here with me today. He's on vacation this week. So uh, along with him and so many uh, college students and families that have come and are returning, I, I, I'd encourage you to pray for people as they get their, uh, their journeys underway and, and that they might travel safely today. What a great week, in addition to Thanksgiving, we had. Last Sunday, some of you came out to the farm. I, we had several hundred people out there at for the Believe It celebration, there were people watching on Highway 13, people on 35th Avenue, people on 29th Avenue, watching the fireworks. And everybody was cheering. We ate all the chili, ate all the cookies. What a great night. But I got kind of a kick out of it because I was in a little corner where they were kind of making comments on the fireworks, which was kind of fun because apparently last week I might have undersold it in church. Because I, I told people to be on time because we didn't have a big festival budget. We just had a little budget. And... I swear to you that there were some people sitting near me that apparently thought that Pastor Keith and I were just going to throw bottle rockets at each other or something like that. But it was a little bit better than that, and so we're glad that you came out. What a great, great celebration in the life of our church. And then Monday, we had another great celebration here. The Celebration Charge Conference was when we got together, and of course we made all the annual reports of the church. Uh, Mike Ransom's choir got up there, and they knocked it out of the park. And then towards the end of the night, we had these, this pretty poignant moment, or series of moments, where we had four young men and women who are pointed towards, by God's Holy Spirit, to a life of ministry, all in their 20s. Andrew's one of them. Uh, you know, uh, Pat Dayton's one of them. We had uh, Allison Padley there and Marcus Kane. And it's really exciting, really exciting to me. When you get to be in your 50s, it's exciting to see that the legacy is good. That, that there are people that are coming along that are going to lead your church and my church who will be our pastors that are powerful, filled with God's Holy Spirit and going to where the Lord is claiming them to go. And I want to send those of you that are my age group and above a little warning. They're different. Okay? Not one of the people that gave testimony that's going into ministry was without at least one tattoo. All four of them, three men, one woman, had earrings or spacers in them, in their ears. If given their own devices and Pastor Mike wasn't standing there, they'd have probably been wearing back backwards baseball hats too. But let me tell you this, because here's the important thing. Don't let the outside fool you, because there's power on the inside. Don't let the backward baseball hats and the earrings and the tattoos think that they won't make you think that they won't lead us well into the future. Because I tell you now, the future is magnificent with this kind of leaders that are coming into the church. So that to me is a praise, and I give thanks to these guys and gals that are coming alongside me and leading you into the great whatever God has in store for us. Now we're going to take a moment right here in our worship service because we do this. Because one of the pleasures of raising up young people to be leaders in the church, and there's a lot more in their teens yet, they just don't know it yet. But one of the pleasures of leading these people is being able to consecrate and anoint them for service in the world. And one of the things that goes along with that is we get to lose them for a season of time. Marcus Kane, come on up here. Marcus Kane, or as many of you might know for obvious reasons, this is Big Mac. Big Mac has... Uh, this is our, his, probably his last Sunday with us at, at 11 o'clock because Marcus has become the uh, 
youth director and leader at the Salem United Methodist Church, which is a professional position on the other side of town. And when we send somebody, we pray for him. So kneel down there, son. Come on. Let's get some hands on him. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are so glad that during these last few years that Big Mac Marcus has been alongside us in ministry. We thank you for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that has moved so wonderfully and magnificently in his life. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you've rescued him out of a very tough scenario and situation, bestowed on him the Holy Spirit and made him a gospel, uh, a, a deliverer of the gospel, for he is not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation to all who believe it has saved his life and he goes forward to be your instrument in the transformation and the saving of others we ask O oh lord that you bless marcus as he goes to serve the people on the other side of town at salem united methodist church bestow upon him that strong spirit that we have already witnessed in him in jesus name amen give thanks to god give thanks marcus god bless you marcus Big back. Good job. He's a great guy. We're going to make another 30 just like him. If we can find enough food. <laughs> I kid the Christians because they're fun. In the last few weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I sent my 7th grade confirmation class out to different churches on the uh, 11th of of November, and they were going out there to witness and, and, and see what went on out there. And I asked them to bring home, they had to fill out a sheet and put it on my desk. And, and they were asked this question, what did you see at that church you visited that we could do at First United Methodist Church that would bring people closer to God? That's all they were supposed to do. And they responded, it was great. And so in ascending order, I'm going to tell you their top four responses. Number four, Fill the front rows of the church first. Because. Don't you ever do that. No. Uh, fill the front rows of the church first. Because everyone would get a lot more out of worship. You know why? When you're at a campfire, you always want to sit closer to the fire, right? Now, I tried this once in real life in my ministry when I was the chaplain and director of church relations at Simpson College. It was awesome the first few weeks. I had these ushers, all college football players, big gentlemen. Actually, this, their, their nicknames, this is a true story. Their nicknames were Big, Bigger, and Biggest. And Craig, he didn't have a nickname, all right? So I felt bad for Craig, but he didn't fit any one of those patterns. But I would have Big and Biggest stand down at the center of the aisle. Big, strapping guys. They would stand at the front row, and the other two were back in the back. And they would fill up the front row of the sanctuary before anybody could sit in the second row. It was awesome because we were mashing people together. They were getting to know each other from different housing units and stuff like that. People were coming close, you know, and you get a little call and response when you're preaching and stuff like that. But here's the thing about college students. They're adults. They figured stuff out. My worship service was at 9 o'clock. And at 8.59, building was empty. They all started waiting out there. Because they don't want to sit at the front. 
understand this. Your seventh graders think that people get a lot more out of worship if they sit close to the front. Number three, decorate the sanctuary for the season or the sermon. We've, of course, done that many times. I can remember even once standing in here in a canoe and preaching out of the canoe about how we need to get out of the boat sometimes. We've had, you know, faucets up here, and in about an hour and a half, we're going to have Christmas decorations in this, in this room as well. But I get the fact that they were, the point they were trying to make is that sometimes it's good because a picture's worth a thousand words. And sometimes when we're talking about stuff, it's really cool to look at stuff that has something to do with that. So if you're called to that kind of ministry, you know, the, we did that for a lot of years, and that team had uh, their fill of that, and so we need a new team. So if you're called to that, the pastors would love to, to, let, to help you uh, work on that ministry. Number two, we need to have people bring their own Bibles. How's that for your confirmation students? Especially since our church gives Bibles to people. The Word of God is what we focus our lives around. Um, so go ahead and bring your own, say they. And number one, have more people stand in the front of the church and testify about their faith and their life. It is always, to me, exuberant to hear another person share of how Christ has moved in their lives and how it's drawn them closer to where uh, they feel they should be as a, a person. And the students feel the same way. Of course, some of them go to camp and stuff like that, so they hear some of these ones that are sitting up here in the front that are home on break right now um, share their testimonies. And, and, and they love that because it draws them closer to God. So, so those four things, pay, pay heed to that because your confirmation kids aren't just a bunch of seventh graders. Uh, they have our seventh graders with deep thoughts, deep minds, and, and they are encouraging us to grow forward to Christ. Now, in these last few weeks, Pastor Keith and I have been talking about how a Christian offers their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. Last week, I talked about how first we offer our service to the body of Christ. And now today, secondly, how we offer our service to the world. And I start where I left off last week. Christianity is not an exercise in consumerism. The church is not simply a dispenser of religious goods and services. Now, we just have gone through Black Friday, and probably some of you participated in that. Everybody that goes tells me it's a lot of fun, and I'm glad to hear their stories, just not going to participate, all right? Everybody in, in the Thanksgiving celebration that we were at that was between 20 and 30, they all went. I think it was a thinly veiled plan to get away from the old people, but they went all out to the Black Friday, and they drank their Starbucks and hung around in line and stuff like that. And it's a fun thing. I want to remind you, though, if any of you have any miles on your tires at all, to remember where Black Friday came from. I was a paper boy, so I remember in my youth how carrying those papers on Thanksgiving days always were so yucky because they were so filled with ads. You know, and this was back in the, you know, the olden days, as my children would say, you know. So Black Friday was about, of course, first and primarily getting the retailers some money. But secondly, everything in those Black Friday ads pointed towards those who wanted to do some early Christmas shopping. Those who wanted to go out and get gifts to give gifts. Okay, that's kind of was the essence of Black Friday when it started. Let me tell you what's happened to Black Friday. On Friday, 71.5%, 71.5% of all the dollars spent on Black Friday were for the purpose of self-gifting. Giving stuff to yourself. 71.5%. Now, that's neither good or bad. That's just what it is. It was 
originally was about giving. And it's turned now to about getting. Now, I want to help you understand this, that Christianity is never an exercise in consumerism. And Christianity is never about self-gifting. It hasn't been, it won't be. In fact, there is this underlying tone that has been part of the Christian teachings since the Bible got pen put to paper about it, since the ancients taught it. And that sentence is this, it's not about you. It shall never be about you, and it cannot be about you. And I also tell you this, because I'm aware of the culture in which I live, that when you say anything is not about you, three-quarters of the North American culture just became disinterested because they want everything to be about them. And that's not how it works. But let me help you with this. Because obedience to Christ cannot be separated from service. We are about serving God, not the world. Let's look at the story that Andrew read so well. And by the way, it's very important, I think, to read scriptures well in, the, in Christian worship. And I thought Andrew did a nice job of that because it's important for us to hear that. But let's see where the story is at. The disciples are commanded to feed the 5,000. We call the miracle the feeding the 5,000. But the command that comes here is for Jesus saying to the disciples, feed the 5,000. Now see, understand the context in which we grab, grab this story, which is in all four Gospels. We come into this story, the disciples have just come back from their first foray into ministry. Jesus has sent them out to the villages and towns around to preach the gospel, tell them the good news of God, tell them about the forgiveness of sins, and they've come back to Jesus. And they are in the presence of their mentor, and they begin to report what has happened. They begin to tell how their success, successes and the difficulties that they'd face on the road, and it records that they're hungry. They're hungry. And so Jesus, seeing that, says, hey, let's slip away. Let's slip away from the crowds. Let's have us a little retreat. Let's get us some refuge. Seeing that the people were coming, Jesus got them on a boat, and they started firing across the Sea of Galilee. And here's what the crowds do. The crowds see him going. Now, I know this. My office is a block from City Hall. And any time the city is doing something that at some planning and zoning meeting or, meeting or, city, or city council meeting that, that the news media think that you all need to know about, there's the, the truck for Channel 2, for Channel 9, Channel 7. They're all waiting outside to try to get an interview because that's where the news is being made. If you've ever been to Los Angeles, you see it. You can't go down there on Hollywood Boulevard without seeing all these paparazzi waiting for some star, waiting for something to show up. Well, this is what's happening with Jesus and the disciples. They've heard in the villages and towns what's going on with Jesus and the disciples. They've heard the news, and they want to be close to it. And so they all go run to Jesus. They see him get on a boat, and rather than saying, oh, well, it's lunch, let's go home, they start running around the lake. Anybody that's ever chased somebody that's on a boat and you're on the shore... It's a lot longer for you around that shore than it is across for them across the lake. But they run across around the shore, up and down, you know, the Sea of Galilee's kind of cut into a big trough in the sea there. So they're not running on each place. And they track down Jesus and the disciples. And just like that, Jesus seeing them, has compassion on them, the retreat's ruined. The disciples don't get anything to eat. And they don't get any rest. And Jesus seeing that there are sheep without a shepherd begins to teach them. The disciples come to him and say, look, it's late. The sun's going down. Send them on. S send them away. Put, get, get, go, let them go to the towns and the villages near here, but, but move them on. And then Jesus very clearly says, they are your responsibility. 
disciples just wanted a break. And Jesus says, there's your responsibilities. Now get this. The disciples are not uncompassionate here. These are guys that, that really want these folks to have something to eat. But they know what they don't have. The disciples clearly know what they don't have. They don't have enough food, and they don't have enough money. If you look earlier in Mark chapter 6, you see that when Jesus sent them out on this preaching mission, the things they were told not to take specifically is no extra clothes, no extra money, not to have any money at all. So they don't have any money, and so when Jesus says, you feed them, all the disciples know for sure is they don't have what they need to feed them. They don't have any money, and they don't have any food. But they, all don't see, they also don't see what is possible. So they say, send them away. Now, I always come to this story. Because it is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Obviously an important story. And I say, what, what about us? You know, I read this story and it says the disciples are saying, you know, send them away. I often wonder, am I thinking about this, seeing the disciples in there? Or am I looking into a mirror right here? And am I seeing myself? Is it me that's saying, send them away? I mean, these are words that are not foreign to you and I. They're not foreign to us. We see these big burdens in life. We see people. I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to fix a broken dam than it is a broken person. And sometimes we see these, these huge responsibilities and we say, can't we sidestep them? Can't we send them the way? And we even sometimes plead with the Lord. I mean, we're Christians. We're relatively good folks against the, the culture in which we live in. But yet sometimes we look at folks that are so broken and so needy, and we say, Lord, can't we send them away? Can't, can't they just go somewhere else? Can't they go to a home or to, to, to a motel or to a casino or a bar? Anywhere. So long as they can lift after, look after themselves. You know, and I came into this a long time ago. And it's important that people can't always fully and completely look after themselves, and we need to understand that. In 2007 or 2008, I don't remember when. That's not really important, but what is important is that something happened. A couple of Christian businessmen called me and said, Mike, you know we have an apartment complex here in our city that has 18 buildings and 1,100 residents and that 2.1 times a day the police have to go out there? Way over 700 times a year the police are going to this one apartment complex? We need to do something about that. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm in for that. And this is where I kind of get on my high horse. And so I became part of three or four guys that, that, that were pursuing a solution for this huge apartment complex. And the thing that I found when I got out there was that most of the people in that apartment complex honestly and earnestly felt that their life outcome was a heading towards prison. Because they know what I know is that Iowa builds a lot more prisons and spends a lot more money on building prisons and making space in prison than we do spend time Put, making space in our life to try to heal, heal the spiritual, social uh, uh, concerns of, of the people that are there. We spend a lot less time trying to help people to learn how to parent or, or, or to try to cure their spiritual bankruptcy than we do building prisons. Now get this. Get this. The average prisoner in the state of Iowa has a third grade reading level. Okay? If a young man particularly can get to an 8th grade reading level, their chance of going to prison drops exponentially. Just a few percentage points. Do you think there's some relationship of the two? 
And so when I got involved with this group, I said, we got to teach these kids how to read. First of all, if they, can't, if they can't read, they probably are destined for prison. Secondly, if they can read, they'll probably stay out of prison and they'll be able to read this book too. Because that's where salvation lies, lies for them. That's where hope lies. And so we got together and we got this thing called Marion Cares. And we, 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 we hired a couple of rock stars, to be honest with you, from out there at the Linmar District and said, get over here and help these kids. And we applied for these STEM grants. And we got all this teaching going on. And within two years, less than two years, the number of police calls to that one apartment complex went from 2.1 a day to less than 0.75 a day. Less than one a day, which I thought was a huge success. And we continue and we endeavor on there as well as another, a number of other places because, praise God, we focus not on what we didn't have because I can't solve... I don't have the ability to solve all of the problems, but I do know what I do have. I have this huge, strong church behind me and the ability to get lots of people out there to teach them about math, to help them with their homework, and instruct them about religion and text time. And praise God, these things are working. Now, here's the thing. No matter what we do when we look at folks like that, and that's why I'm so passionate about them, we can't send them away. We cannot send them away for two reasons. One, they have nowhere else to go. And second, when asked what the most important commandments are, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? Everybody. We're all each other's neighbors. And because Jesus took our burdens and granted us his love, he wants us to share that with others by serving them. In whatever way we can. See, when we serve God, we naturally serve the world. And we start our service with God with falling completely and entirely in love with Him. We devote ourselves to God in every single way that there is possible. And the natural outcome of that, the natural outcome of being passionately in love with God and willing to serve Him is a commitment to Christ by serving and responding to the fundamental human needs of every kind social, spiritual, and physical. Because when the disciples respond, when the disciples respond, Jesus solves the problem. The the disciples don't perform the miracle. You get that, right? When the disciples respond, Jesus solves the problem. E. Stanley Jones, a great, great evangelist from the last century, used to always say say it like this. Cast your lot with Jesus and he'll provide the rest. If you're a person that writes stuff down in your heart, write that down. Cast your lot with Jesus, and he will provide the rest. You see, we have a part in the miracle, but we don't perform it. And the part that we have in the miracle is simple. We put what we have on the altar of Christ and allow his abundant grace and mercy and his extravagant power to perform the miracles that our community and our world need. You see, it's a silly thing that Jesus asked. He says, you feed them. Mount Mercy College wouldn't deploy 12 people to serve 5,000 people. That's ludicrous. The Cedar Rapids Colonels has a staff of more than 12 people to serve 5,000 meals. But Jesus is just simply saying, look, you give what you have, five and two, and I'll take care of the rest. One of my daughters 
a few years ago, a handful of years ago, was, was called before she went to college to go on a years-long mission to Nicaragua. And she ended up in this place called Granada, Nicaragua, and put in a place, um, I hate to refer to the one of my daughters living in a compound, but she lived in a compound, okay? It was a concrete walls like you find in Latin America, about 12 feet high, glass on the top to keep the outside out. And I'll tell you what, it was one scary place I went down there. Because inside the wall, these 20s college students were relatively um, secure. But outside that wall, I mean, they told me when I got there to this town, you'd be in the hotel by 9 o'clock or you're on your own until 7 in the morning. That's a sincere, sincere problem. But so here are these college kids. They don't have any clue as to what they should be doing in ministry. So they just focus on the street right in front of them. And this street was just yuck. It was just a dirt street. You know, in third world countries, you know, you got water running down there, crud running down there, garbage running down there, pigs running down there, dogs running down there. It's everything, real pigs. They're just like hanging around. They're not pets either. All right, you know what I'm saying? And so these kids just focused on the street. And they just went out there and they started cleaning up the street. Now, important to this story is across the street from El Puente, which is called the bridge, is this place that's just drug lord, drug lord, drug lord, drug lord. And this is how God works. The kids could not solve that, but they could address the street. And so they started cleaning up the street. They'd go out there for a day because they had strong backs and they were young people. They'd fill up garbage bags and trucks worth of stuff and they'd haul it away. And guess what? Conveniently, someone would fill the street up again with trash that night. And so they kept cleaning and kept cleaning. Pretty soon after five or seven days of doing this, the little kids were coming out from where the drug lords lived and started helping them. And those students were being present for them, those college students that were taking the year off. And these kids were starting to light up their lives. They're speaking Spanish and all that kind of stuff, talking about Jesus. Pretty soon this street is clean a block long, which incidentally, in Nicaraguan terms, a miracle. Okay? Once seeing the street clean, and seeing the influence that these young Americans were having on the Nicaraguan kids, the drug lords built a hedge of protection around them and made known in the city, no one touches them. The city came in and paved brick by brick the whole street, and the neighborhood was as transformed as it could be at that time. What did the students have to offer? Strong back. But they offered what they had and made huge impact into the lives of those people that were present. Now, I don't have to go that far away. You guys all know the story of, like, His Hands Helping Clinic. It was started by two doctors and two nurses right here in our city that thought the underserved population of our town should have free or reduced-cost medical care. Now there are a lot of doctors and a lot of nurses, and many of you, I know many of our congregations, uh, in the 20 years that that organization has been providing free health care, has been helping at that clinic. And now, rather than just a few people being seen, several hundred every single week are given health care. Not because the doctors said, we can't do this or we don't have enough to do it, but because these doctors and nurses said, this is what we have, we put it on the altar of the Lord, and God do what it, with it what you want. They didn't perform the miracles. They just gave what they had to the miracles. You put what you have on Christ's table, and I guarantee you this, He will provide the rest. You put what you have on Christ's table and let Him do the miracle work. 
Now, the United Methodist Church has coached us to expectantly put certain things on Christ's table. And we've been talking about these in the last handful of months. You know, our service begins by embodying the first four of our pledge words. And the first word is, we pledge our prayers. Now, I'm not talking about mamby-pamby rote prayers that you just kind of read out of guidepost or something like that. I'm talking about prayers that you actually put your whole body and soul into the real deal. Really put yourself... You know, we believe prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And God has influenced. This is the oddest thing of our faith, is that the great, powerful God, the God of the universe, the God of all things and places, has allowed himself and promised us that he will be influenced by our prayers. So when we pray powerfully, God is influenced. So don't waste that bullet. Use that thing. Pray, but pray for the real deal. Look in your neighborhood. You don't have to go that far. Just look outside your window. You know that they're hurting with this. They're hurting with that. They've got this great thing going on. They wrecked their car. Something must be going on there. And just pray for them. Just pray that God will give them whatever they need. You don't need to know everything. Just pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for what happens as you read it in the newspaper or download it on the internet or however you get your news. I mean, you know, we say, oh man, it's horrible in the Middle East. Pray for peace in the Middle East. All the politics in the world cannot hold a candle to the great powerful God that hears his people pray. Pray. And we offer our presence. I thought earlier this week when I got to this part about offering our presence as part of our service that I'd have everybody stand up if you did any of these things. And I had this long litany of cool things that I could tell you because really what presence means is you seize the opportunities that God gives you. That's what presence is. So see, if you're teaching in the public schools, or if you're a healthcare professional, or if you're an administrator, if you're on the city council, if you're on the school board, if you coach youth soccer, metro football, little league, if you're part of 4-H, if you're part of the Boy Scouts of America, Girl Scouts of America, if you volunteer for the community health-free clinic, if you work at the food pantry, if you are part of a service club, no matter who you are, you know, if you're anyone, you're who I'm dressing this to, you have presence with people. And to serve them, all we need to do is serve, seize the opportunity. Now, I'm not saying that all the coaches out at Tuma should put down the soccer balls and quit telling their kids how to score goals and say have evangelistic meetings, although that wouldn't disappoint me that much. But they won't learn how to play soccer that way. So since the parents have paid for them to learn how to play soccer, we still have to teach the soccer. But you do have moments with individual students, with individual kids, with individual parents where you can seize the moment to influence them and serve them for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked a lot about how you offer your gifts and how you're supposed to empty your pockets sacrificially to, to give to UMCOR, to give to FLY, to give to um, Marion Cares, all these kind of things. And I want to talk to you about, lastly, about witness. We embody our service to the Lord by being a witness for our Lord. You see, like our confirmation students say, you sometimes just have to serve God by telling your story, by telling your faith and your life. See, our gospel is meant to be socialized. It's not a private religion. It's supposed to be told. I had the, the honor and the privilege of, of representing you and several hundred other Methodist churches by being elected to the North Central Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church. Went out to Akron, Ohio. Don't go, by the way. But I went to Akron, Ohio for a four-day conference. 
And during this conference, which, of course, you know, they load up about three, three truckloads of bishops, and they all kind of want to have a preach-off, but they couldn't. But nevertheless, this one bishop came in here, and he was a good preacher. They all were good preachers. But one bishop came forward, and he had this witness. You know, everybody's got Live Strong bands and different bands. You know, I love my dog bands or whatever these bands are. You know, everybody's got the bands. He had bands, too. These bands were black. And in blue letters, I remember them because there were our 412 colors. It said on these bands, and all you need to hear is this. There's always a way home. There's always a way home. And he preached to us about how we just need to communicate to the folks around which we find ourselves that there's always a way home, that the great Lord, our God, has a home for them, and there's always a way home. And he gave us two bands, this bishop. And he said, now go out to Akron and witness to somebody. So I, you know, picked up my big evangelistic trumpet and said, I'm going out to witness. And I go with three district superintendents, a young pastor, myself. We go find ourselves in this ice cream store. And I've got my There's Always a Way Home banner, you know, little band. And I'm going to give it to this kid because I can see that he needs it. I mean, he's got this big giant tattoo on his arm. And I walked over to him like I always do with guys with tattoos. And I said, tell me about your ink. And he starts preaching Jesus to me. I mean, there's this big tree like a sequoia on his arm. And he starts telling me about the tree of life and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And he starts telling me how I need to receive Jesus Christ. I'm like, too late, but all right. <laughs> go on, go on, you know. And so I, I pulled my little band back and I looked at the DSS. I said, listen to this dude. We need to recruit him. We need more like him and him. So I, I took it on with me and, and I, didn't, I didn't succeed on my mission that day. But when I was in the airport, I sat down with a lady and was talking to her about it. And, you know, she was telling me how she'd done so many things that there just wasn't a way home. I mean, lucky for me, I had my band. There was a way home. And I gave it to her. You know, I prayed, which was awkward in the Akron airport, except for her, because she needed what we had to dispense. And she knew then it was a simple witness. It was a simple. I just told her, there's always a way home. God tells you that. There's always a way home. And we prayed briefly like that. In the, you know, those weird places that are airports. And I tell you that so I can tell you this. That's the truth. There's always a way home. doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've been, doesn't matter what you've broke, doesn't matter what the great gaping hole in your heart is or the ones you've put in someone else's heart. There's always a way home. That's the witness of Jesus Christ. He said, He says, Come to me, all of you, you that are heavy laden and weary, come to me and I'll give you my rest. You see, we endeavor through our prayers, our presence, our witness, our gifts and service for that great day. That there is no other day that is greater there. That great day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess on heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't have any other reason for getting up in the morning. That's what I get up for. That's what I come to join you in. And that is what we serve. That purpose and that alone. A Christian offers their service so that the kingdom of God may come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God. There is none like you. There was never a mold made for you where you are too great for any mold. Lord, you have given us all that we need, encourages us this day to put not what we do not have on your altar, 
but to put what we do have on your altar and allow your power, abundant mercy, and grace to transform it through the miracles that you need to perform in the lives of those around us. In the name of the first and only one, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.